You are listening to WARN, Aardvark Radio Network. I am Blue, and I am taking calls from you. Let's go to the first caller. Hello, you're on the air. Uh, yes, I'm a ant. My name is Charlie, and I think you're annoying. Great. I need to get caller protection from kooks. There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. The Penny and James have a sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. Welcome once again to the Pemmy and James kind of sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. And after over 40 episodes, we finally return to the Patty Freeling Enterprises. I'm also personally happy that you're the one who always says the name of the podcast and not me because I would never remember every single one of those words. (laughs) (laughs) When you have a hit on your hands like the Pink Panther, which was a rare bright spot in the doldrums of 1960s theatrical cartoons... It gives you the necessary social capital within the show business scene to bring about other productions not associated with your main meal ticket, in this case, the hippest cat on the silver screen. To Patty Freeling, having found subsequent success with another Panther film spinoff in The Inspector, based on Peter Sellers' breakout character Inspector Clouseau, started trying out multiple other ideas to grow their library of characters. The funny thing is... Whatever the level of popularity these new creations would get, each of these subsequent series only ever had 17 short subjects produced. No more, no less. It's kind of a pity, because I wouldn't mind more of these, but uh, more of the subject we're talking about. Though technically it kind of did get more later, but we'll probably get to that later too. There's a good argument you can make for the most popular of these being The Ant and the Aardvark which was originally the brainchild of John Dunn. So huh. Normally there's some sort of funny echo effect when I hear that name. I guess you're not done with Dunn? Mm. Uh-huh. So yeah, this idea actually predates John Dunn's involvement with the Patty Freeling Enterprises. The final character model would actually be cooked up by... Uh, a fellow with the unlikely name of Corny Cole. Corny Cole? Yes. Like, his first name is literally Corny. I guess so. Unless that's a nickname. I hope so. Otherwise, I would be mad at my parents if I was him. Mm-hmm. But the premise is a pretty simple chase cartoon. You know, the aardvark who seems to be interchangeable with an anteater in this series, is hungry and is looking for sustenance. Finds it in one very slick and debonair ant. Or at least he tries to. Eh, anteater, aardvark, close enough. I'm sure Arthur won't be too upset about the mistake. And of course, I don't think his sister is going to mind because she can't read. <laughs> that sign can't stop me because I can't read. I, I never watched too much of Arthur, but what little I, I did, I'd say DW's the best character. <laughs> Even if she grows up to be a cop, according to the last episode. So the two characters are voiced by the same voice artist, John Biner. Who does an excellent job, I might add. Yes, he, his impressions of the celebrities he's basing these characters in, off of are dead on. The Aardvark is inspired by comedian Jackie Mason, who was 
one of the most politically incorrect comedians of his era. And considering that's before the phrase political correctness was even coined, that's saying something. I don't know too much about Jackie Mason other than uh, he is a comedian. Well, you do know him for one of his roles in The Simpsons. He was Krusty's dad. Oh, heck yeah, you're right. Well, that answers one of the questions I was going to have. (laughs) I was going to ask, is Jackie Mason of Jewish descent because his uh, delivery feels that way? Yes. Yes, he is. And meanwhile, Charlie Ant's voice is derived from Rat Pack stalwart Dean Martin. I am familiar with Dean Martin. Oh, yeah, he's done movies. He's done work with Jerry Lewis. Hey, lady. For enlivening. Wait, that's more Animaniacs. Oh, it's still in the same. It's who they're parodying. Yeah. Oh, oh, just just the idea of ever doing the Jerry Lewis filmation cartoon. Oof. Luckily, we haven't been able to find it. So I had episodes. I had like two episodes of it and then. Um, well, my computer died, so <laughs> I do not have those anymore. And let me tell you, a Jerry Lewis cartoon without Jerry Lewis, well, is bad to, regardless of your opinion of Jerry Lewis. <laughs> a lot of artistry went into this cartoon outside of the usual art direction and voice acting. We've really got to give a lot of credit to musical director Doug Goodwin. Definitely has a very... 60s feel to it, which makes sense considering it was made 1969 to 1971. Right. And oh, I remember dates. <laughs> Goodwin put together some established jazz musicians, and for the first time in animated cartoons, every musician involved got a credit. Those would be Ray Brown, Billy Byers, Pete Candoli, Shelley Maine, Jimmy Rawls, and Tommy Tedesco. Nice. Tedesco, of course, being a guitarist, part of the famous Los Angeles-based session group, The Wrecking Crew, who you would hear on thousands of records. Especially like Foreman Spike. (laughs) Sorry. Could not avoid that joke. Especially after seeing the Super Mario movie. Yeah. (laughs) That was a deep cut. (laughs) Anyways. Fortunately, he never brought Bulldozer and Piledriver along with him. (laughs) I I didn't want to say... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Another wrecking crew for those who don't know. I, I do have to say I love the Aardvark's design. I like the fact that he talks through his snout. I think that's a very clever uh, gimmick for them. And we also want to mention Art Leonardi, who did the graphic titles for the De Patty Freeling cartoons, just about all of them. But for this one, he expanded on a technique he used in that very first Pink Panther cartoon by tearing paper into the forms of objects and characters, and even letting some of the tears show through, creating a very stylized look. I like the look in this. I like the look of the show. I like how the, I like how sketchy the uh, designs and everything look too. It's got a really nice kind of look to it. Though so I've noticed a few times where uh, it feels a little too obvious that uh, the Aardvark snout is being animated separately from the rest of his body. Mm, fair. So, let's get right into it with the lone Ant and the Aardvark cartoon, actually directed by Frizz Feeling, The Ant and the Aardvark. Funny yes. how that works out. And this one was written by John Dunn. I keep expecting that echo. Dun, 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 dun. Fans of That's Not Quite All Folks will know what I'm talking about. 
they do not like John Dunn. So they are done with Dunn. Basically. And it was originally released March 5th, 1969. So, Pem, I got a question for you to start us off with. Hmm. Is there a word to describe this style of background where the color is kind of off-center compared to the line work, but intentionally? Uh, if there is, I don't know what it is. I do know it's very popular during this day and age. Hanna-Barbera did that a lot, too. They did. I think it's just a basic, uh, it's just basic stylization. It sometimes looks really cool. I like just how sketchy a lot of the stuff looks in this, like all the flowers and the uh, picnic basket and everything is very, very sketchily drawn. And it looks, it looks cool. I like it. Either way, regarding the art, Charlie Ant relates to the fourth wall that he loves picnics, like the one that's set up near his anthill. And the people who set it up have fine taste. So the aardvark under the frames and gruffly mutters, Hey, Ant! And Charlie replies, Now what's the matter? You lost, pal? He's not intimidated. But the aardvark just wants to talk to the ant about his future and then gives him a lick. That's uh, that's sexual harassment, sir. A little bit. But Charlie claims, claims he's semi-retired, so he's not interested in whatever the aardvark's selling, and slams the picnic basket on Blue's snout. It takes 200,000 ants to make a sandwich, and I'm having trouble with just one! I also got to give uh, the Aardvark credit. I mean, he's got some great color coordination. He's got a shirt and shorts that match his very skin or fur, I guess. This establishes the relationship between Chaser and Chasey. Charlie Ant is cool as a cucumber, even in the face of this massive predator, compared to him anyway. And the Aardvark is all bluster and sass, and not an iota of success to show for his efforts. Oh, I, I was going to say, as far as the color coordination thing, when I was a kid, I actually, it bothered me that his uh, shirt and pants were the same color as the rest of him, because it, it as a kid, I was like, I don't know where the, sh <laughs> it's like, what part's the shirt and what part's his body was kind of what my little kid mind is. Now, um, while I'm sure it was done for partially cost-cutting measures, I think it works good because it means, like, no matter what's in the background, he stands out completely, which... Mm -hmm. Helps a lot. I kind of did a similar thing with my uh, the Pukas comic, where I, while I didn't make it all the same shade, I kind of made a lot of the main characters all one vari variations of one color to kind of make them stand out more. So with Charlie carrying back a pie, the Aardvark moans that you try to talk nice to a guy, and he turns his back on you, and proceeds to try and suck up the ant. Yeah, the, the Aardvark has vacuum cleaner level skills. All he gets, though, is the pie. Which is coconut face. cream. He knows because someone put the whole coconut in the pie. Ouch. Good gag. That and it's a cartoon, so of course you gotta get a pie to the face gag at some point. Yeah. Blue makes a dash for Charlie, who dives into his anthill pad, causing Blue to slam into an apple tree. But still undeterred, our Aardvark adversary sticks his snout in the anthill, introducing us to one of the series' trademark visual gags. Blue talking to either his prey or the audience when only his snout is visible. Again, I think that's a very clever character design. Because, I mean, you know, making the snout be the mouth is is a very cute idea. Imagine if they did that with Arthur. Jeez. Especially when, you know, if you go back and look at the really early Arthur books where he did have the full snout and look creepy as heck. <laughs> it, I, I remember... Oh, I remember. It's going to be hard not to reference. 
Arthur throughout this, isn't it? He is the only other cartoon aardvark out there. That we are aware of. Yeah. So Blue is going to huff and puff and reverse, sucking up Charlie's nice furniture, his Persian rug, and all his Tabasco sauce. Obviously, Blue can't handle uh, spicy food very much because Tabasco sauce ain't anything. Although, I think the sheer volume might have been what done it. That's fair. Well, fortunately, he just got he just got overheated and not other side effects of spicy food. <laughs> Cue the launch into a nearby lake, which Blue either drinks up or causes a good deal of it to evaporate. Of all the ants in the world, I gotta pick a kook! Transitioning from that scene to the next, Charlie is still carting food to his home, wishing the picnickers did delivery. Well, nowadays they probably do, but... And Blue pulls out a sack and uses it to disguise himself as Charlie's home. I really have to start limiting the number of times I quote Blue, or else I won't give folks on the fence about this cartoon a reason to go and watch these. Well, it doesn't help that he is very, very quotable. More so than Charlie, I will say that. Yeah. Unluckily for Blue, Charlie's next bit of food is a whole watermelon, which he forces down the aardvark's snout. That's a heck of a watermelon, too. Yeah. The result is even more quotable sass. Though, uh, to Charlie's credit, he did mention that one factor, which is, it's a good thing I'm an ant, because then I'm strong, or something like that. I don't remember the exact word. Yeah. Which actually explains a lot of stuff with him, but while exaggerated, he's not entirely wrong. Ants are extremely strong for such little bugs. Indeed. So we got a fairly routine banana peel gag. Then Blue says he's storming Hill 90 and trumpets with his snout. Digging his way into the anthill, Charlie decides to scram and Blue digs all the way to a gas line and lights a match to get a better look at what he bumped into. How'd I know he had central heating? <laughs> yeah, that wasn't too bad. <laughs> no, not too bad. Uh, hey, I know, I know. We, we, as you mentioned, we're going to just keep quoting him too much, but I, I do like the quote about the the, the banana because he's like you can't give me the slip and then and then anyway he slips in the banana pebbles like well you know he gave me the slip <laughs> digging again blue finds what he believes to be charlie's personal subway line and tries to turn on a nearby light but the light is in fact the 525 train running two minutes early i might add he, he decides he'd rather have the lights off but unfortunately uh the light isn't complying Next up, Blue works to smoke Charlie out with the cheapest cigar he can find and smokes himself a sickly shade of green, inhaling and exhaling the cigar smoke. Now, I don't know much about cigars, but what I do know is you're not supposed to inhale. No, you're just you're kind just of supposed to, to hold it in your... Just a lightly puff. Yeah, and it, maybe hold it inside your mouth, but not, like, completely inhale it. Regardless... Yeah, don't smoke, kids. It's bad for you. And, well, Blue sure confirms my limited knowledge on the subject here. Charlie even goes so far to ask if he could do anything for the very sick Aardvark, who asks for a wish to be made for him, since he wishes he were dead. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately for him, the ant does not comply with that request. A fed-up Aardvark decides it's time to protest and stamp out the ants. Literally. Unfortunately, he didn't pay very well attention to uh, 
his uh, surroundings. Yeah, being this was the era where landmines were very much an issue in old theaters of war, Blue stumbles right into one. And Charlie pithily states the moral of the story is to tread lightly. (laughs) So that's the basic format of the cartoon. Attempt, failure, sass. I, I think the the Aardvark sass is definitely what keep separates this from the other popular chase format cartoons like Tom and Jerry or the Roadrunner and Coyote. Indeed. Talking probably also makes a lot of difference in that too. But Yeah. So let's see how they try to uh, spice up the formula. First, we have the fifth cartoon in sequence, Technology Fui. Directed by Jerry Chinque and written by Irv Spector. Jerry Chinque is uh, a little notorious with fans of your aforementioned Roadrunner. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, he directed the DePatty Freeling made ones, and there's a little speculation he was out to get some revenge on Chuck Jones. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard about that. Not, not proven, but speculation in it with fairly good reasoning behind those assumptions. I will say that. Yeah, also does, well, the Patty Freeling and Seven Arts, because they both kind of were responsible for that long run. We at least got a coyote mech out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take that what we and, can get. Yeah, that and weirdly, the, the Bill Lava music like ru- is uh, r- runs rent-free in my head, because uh, there was an era on Nickelodeon where they were showing Looney Tunes, and it was always like the, the Patty Freeling era ones. Yeah, that was always going to be the third one in the sequence. The first one being a 50s short of the few they had access to. The second one being a black and white, usually Bosco or Buddy. Occasionally you'd get an early Tex Avery black and white, if you were lucky. And the third one would be to Patty Freeling or Seven Arts. Yeah. And because of that, like... I, I didn't realize until I rewatched one of those uh, one of those era Roadrunner cartoons recently, and it was just like as soon as the music played, it just felt like it unlocked this nostalgic like lock in my head, and I was just like, "Oh, I I know this." <laughs> Since then, I've actually found a download of some of the music from that, and uh, actually thrown that in random spots in some of my videos. So. Back to the ant and the aardvark with our perpetually unsuccessful ant agonist. (laughs) He hasn't eaten for a month. And when a column of ants walks by, they're all too fast for him to catch. So, Blue reasons that if he's not smart enough, he'll get something that is. A do-it-yourself wizard electro kit. Ah, this age of computers. (laughs) Yeah. Turning it on. The computer asks what his problem is with a snicker in his voice. And, oh, that voice reminds us of somebody. Oh, you think so? It sounds very familiar. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds a little like Paul Lind. Not exactly, but a little, especially the chuckling part. That that really feels like Lind. (laughs) Lucky for Blue, he doesn't do Lind's really uh, sinister-sounding laugh. Yeah. The computer has it has detected an ant for Old Blue, and of course it's Charlie. So f- first up, we get a simple gag where Blue's snout is redirected to Charlie's fireplace, the requisite dive into a pond to cool off, 
and returning to the computer, Blue complains of a hot foot, heartburn, and hot flashes all at once. At least the sarcastic, the somewhat, uh, I don't know if sarcastic's the word, but somewhat... Uh, sardonic. Po- sardonic, thank you. The somewhat sardonic uh, computer is at least polite enough to ask him, well, how'd it go? <laughs> so the computer's next suggestion is a can of pesticide. Which, I got questions on that. Wouldn't that make the ant inedible for Blue? I'm not sure. But, you know what does go wrong, though? Blue's aim. (laughs) Yeah, he points the thing backwards. And this must be that old pre-regulations pesticide stuff, since it sends Blue spinning, and not just turning other colors, but entire patterns. Uh, must be that DDT. Yeah. Stuff I only know exists because of Millipede. <laughs> and Jake Roberts. Yeah. Of course, you could say in this instance, DDT stands for don't do that! <laughs> I mean, I, I think this is a case where the only person that Blue has to blame is himself for that one. Yeah. Now the snickering computer suggests a quicksand trap. Um, I know we're running on cartoon logic and we're supposed to give it a lot of leeway, and I do. But this feels like it's being stretched a little past that already wide boundary. (laughs) Because carrying a small pile of quicksand shouldn't make a several foot deep trap. I've always, well, it's worth mentioning that quicksand and cartoons and even serious cartoons don't work like actual, like, quicksand. Yeah, quicksand is dense, and you only descend a few feet. Yeah. The the whole thing with movies where you can drown in the quicksand is... You'd have to do that on purpose, practically. Right. <laughs> Still, the trap works. And with a cherry on top, the trap is set, and Charlie takes the bait and sinks in. The aardvark decides to uh, stick his snout in to get the ant, but unfortunately, he also gets sunk in. Yeah. Adding injury to insult, Charlie is unscathed and tosses the cherry pit into Blue's snout. I could say something right now, but it would only be censored. (laughs) Well, I guess I should at least give them credit for not taking the obvious joke. Yeah. This is the pits. Naturally. So... Blue is back to doing things without computerized advice, resorting to a cartoon classic, The Boulder on the Cliff. Charlie sees it coming with his usual cool demeanor and is able to use his sheer lung power to send the boulder back up. Now, I should mention, I'm being very careful with my phrasing here because I need to save the obvious gag that I know everybody out there listening is thinking of for the eventual gag in the cartoon itself. So watching this all proceed, Blue is dumbstruck and puts it in two words. Impossible! And he goes down to the anthill's level to see for himself, and he witnesses Charlie do it again, and then has to start trying himself. As well as the aardvark can suck, he just can't blow. Told you we were saving it. And now Blue is really starting to dive into Wily Coyote territory with a remote-controlled ant stomper that looks like something the Agni Corporation would have made in conjunction with Caterpillar. Probably while my grandfather was working with Caterpillar. I guess you could say with this contraption, he's about to give uh, Charlie the boot. Yeah. Unfortunately, this isn't the best-paced gag. 
This advice moves really fast. Charlie avoids it even faster and eventually stomps all over the aardvark. This one fell as flat as the foot on the device. But I'll tell you this. The ending makes up for it. <laughs> yep, because we come back because despite those failures, he comes back to the uh, computer and starts to grape out the computer, despite the fact that you know he's the one who did the last couple things. Yep, but it's not a computer. <laughs> when Blue says he's a lousy computer, the computer's like, "Oh, I'm not a computer. I'm a pop-up toaster," and proceeds to shoot lots of toast out. And Blue gives us one of the most immortal closing lines of the series while he's buried in toast. Anybody got a pound of butter? (laughs) We're going to figure out how many uses you can get out of a pound of butter while we take this commercial break. Uh, Ones that are allowed to be said on this show anyways. Yeah. Pink Panther will be right back. On the next Pemmy and James podcast, Saturday morning cartoons often seized upon what was popular elsewhere. But a straight translation of Jaws wouldn't have passed network censors. So Hanna-Barbera went to their old playbook and made their shark the drummer of a rock group of adventuring teens. That's right, we give Jabberjaw the respect he may or may not be due in two weeks. So adding an element worked pretty well, but what about subtracting an element? We're going to look at the Isle of Caprice, the eighth cartoon in the sequence, another Jerry Chinque direction, with writing by David Deteg. I don't know how to pronounce that. Deteg? Deteg. Or Deteg. Deteger? I don't think so. (laughs) At the very least, this one does give us a change of scenery, because instead of the jungle-slash-forest we find ourselves focusing on a pair of islands, with Blue stranded on one with no ants to eat, only coconuts. And we already know how he feels about that. Yeah, he's not nuts about coconuts. But on a a nearby island, he spies an entire colony of ants. Using his snout as an improvised snorkel, he swims off only to be stopped by a shark. Now, a pheasant under glass may not be too bad, but a shark underwater, forget it! guess he doesn't need to ante up on this one. No. Chased back onto dry land and up a tree, Blue realizes he's up against someone hungrier than he is. I might be hungry, but this shark is starving! So the adjusted premise of this short, unfortunately, is not lived up to by the first round of gags. We've seen this sort of thing in, say, Tom and Jerry cartoons, where Tom is trying to avoid Spike the Bulldog in his pursuit of Jerry. And the snarky aardvark isn't nearly as sympathetic a figure as Tom is. <laughs> Sorry. Man, I you say that you said sympathetic as Tom, and I just randomly remember just it's like an instant hit in my head of just some of the just terribly mean stuff that happens to Tom in that show. Yeah. Poor, poor pussycat. Say Levy. The shark eating the plank that Blue rose in on is really routine boilerplate stuff. But the inflatable raft inflating the shark is at least a little bit better. I do like that the shark is practically a freaking bulldog in this, though. Hmm. Like, seeing him, like, kind of scurry off on his fins is at least a cute animation. Yeah. Now, the third gag is where we start to pick up some steam, because it puts the aardvark's goal more front and center. 
By using a garden hose as a means of inhaling some ants, he hopes to finally get his preferred meal. Unfortunately, he inhales something else. And surprisingly, it's not water. Yeah, it's a shark. Now, if it were me writing this, I would have had him get sick from the gallons of salt water he'd have drank up by accident. And the shark would look on and shrug at the audience. It would at least subvert the pattern enough to elicit some laughs of surprise. I will at least say the uh, the expression the aardvark has when he sees the shark is pretty good. <laughs> so, we get still more gags with sagging tight ropes and a parachute and the blatancy of recycled animation assets of the shark chasing Blue up the tree become more obvious every time. Then there's the one where he uses the tree as a catapult and it literally reuses the same animation from what happens with the raft. Yeah, it's at this point I realize this particular episode might have been done on a smaller budget than most. Yeah, because that scene was just blatant, because he gets shot, he shoots himself off the catapult, and then it's immediately the same animation of him being thrust backwards from the, like, raft, which was not even the way he was facing. Right. Honestly, the rest of the cartoon just kind of plays out like this. The gags are over almost as quick as they start, giving them no good timing against the pre-recorded music, and none of them cover any real new ground. Now, you could levy that criticism about the previous cartoons we looked at, but the sass between Charlie and Blue kept things interesting and fresh, and removing Charlie from the formula just leaves Blue feeling less impressive. Yeah, he doesn't really have anyone to work off of. The shark sure isn't giving him anything. Also, when did bathtubs float? That's a good question. But the short does at least end with a good punchline. Before we get to that, I do want to say one thing that does bug me. Okay. He has a speedboat. He complains about being on a deserted island, and he had a speedboat this entire time. You know what, Pemmy? That may very well be your very first. Now wait just a minute! <laughs> it might be. Because <laughs> when he pulled up the speedboat, I was like, wait a second! <laughs> but still, this ending gag does work. As Blue decides to tunnel under the ocean, he just winds up digging a hole that sinks the island. <laughs> and this last line is great. Great enough that, you know what? Let's just have the aardvark himself say it. Well, Honolulu is about 2,000 miles from here, but with him on my tail, I ought to make it in 15 minutes. In spite of this, this was still a, a weaker effort. Yeah. And when a series like this is a mixed bag, we do want to reflect that. And don't get me wrong, I have a tremendous soft spot for this series. Just, you know, we're trying to be thorough and balanced. And just plain honest, let's be honest. <laughs> Every Everything has its bad moments, whether good or bad, and this was definitely its bad moment. And when I was looking at what was originally planned to be our fourth cartoon, Odd Ant Out, I realized we would have even less to say about that one. So Pemmy suggested Dune Bug. I'm glad I did. Yep. This one was written by John Dunn. Still no echo. And directed by Art Davis. Oh, hey, Art Davis. Nice. Yep, another Termite Terrace veteran, to be sure. 
Also, that's one of my favorite gags in this entire series. But we'll get to that. So here, Charlie's taking a vacation on the beach with a matchbook beach lounging chair and a cola bottle cap umbrella. Nice touch. Yeah, I always love when they do gags like that in cartoons with a small character. Because, you know, some shows will be lazy and just have them have small versions of our stuff. But when they make it out of, like, smaller stuff, I always love that. It's very creative. As he's enjoying the scenery, he spots Blue, who sniffs Charlie down and the chase is on. Charlie dives into some sand and Blue starts digging, only to grab the swim trunks of a man buried in the sand. I've got questions, but I don't want them answered. All I've got is a Simpsons quote. Grandpa, how'd you take off your underwear without taking off your pants? I don't know. So the chase resumes, and Blue admonishes the running ant to slow down, or else he'll work off all his tasty fat. Unfortunately for Blue, he runs into the lifeguard. Yeah, a nearsighted, bespectacled lifeguard who believes Blue to be a dog. Hugh running gag. Yeah. It's like, have you ever seen a dog with a snout like this? You're a schnauzer! Ejecting the aardvark for being without a leash, as per regulations, Blue wishes he were a dog so he could properly bite that lifeguard. Yeah, I guess it would be hard to bite him with that snout. Yeah. Charlie grabs a wooden spoon to continue his rest and relaxation via surfing. And Blue tries to sneak past the sleeping lifeguard from under a proper board. And hey, Blue's a decent surfer. Until he gets ejected off the wave into the lifeguard. Yeah, that's one heck of a gnarly wave, bro. I, I do like the light. Like, would you uh, accept the simple apology? Nope. Another violent ejection ensues, with the board forced through Blue's head in the process. Well, that's the way you want it, the aardvark mutters before passing out. So we get to the next plan, where we see Blue sneaking in the trash can while... Some people would say he went where he belonged. No, I, I won't say that about him. Oh, I'd but, say he's taking a page out of the Solid Snake book. Oh, there you go. And once again, we get the snout as an improvised snorkel. Colonel, I'm I'm sneaking around in a trash can. I'm looking for an ant. I like that the uh, I like that the lifeguard when he sneaks past him is just looking at papers that say nothing but rules on them. <laughs> so what goes wrong this time? A seagull perches on Blue's snout. And uh, lays an egg in it. Curiously, the Patty Freeling decided to use the sound of a startled chicken to represent the seagull. Another sign of limited budget? Or just the only sound they had access to, maybe. Hmm. Before the days where you could just hire Frank Welker to voice an animal. Yeah. (laughs) So choking, the aardvark winds up coughing up at that egg and throws it in frustration right at the lifeguard. I also want to say that egg was almost as big as that sequel. <laughs> yep. That's uh, impressive. And mind-bogglingly impossible, but impressive. This time the lifeguard throws him out with the trash can, and uh, this, is, this is my favorite gag, so... Have at it. The aardvark's like, I have half a mind to sue. And then right then gets ran over by a car. He's like, how's about that? That was my lawyer. (laughs) That is great. (laughs) So Charlie is tanning on a platform on the sea when he spots the aardvark using a diving suit with an air pump to reach his quarry. Upon diving, though, 
a random kid just walks along and nonchalantly switches the air pump from slow to fast. And uh, I feel sorry for Blue because I, if what I saw, if, if what happens is correct, uh, I think he wasn't even getting oxygen in the first place. I think he was getting helium. <laughs> yeah, the diving suit inflates. He floats up and Blue bursts out of the seat of the suit's bottom. Fortunately, he was prepared and has a parachute. Unfortunately, he lands right next to the lifeguard. You can guess the rest. Well, it's a hit. Yeah. The blue sitting on the curb, pondering the beach's rules, when along walks a lady with an itty-bitty poodle on a leash. Aha! A collar that is bigger than that almost that entire dog. Yeah. Blue ambushes the poodle and assumes its spot on the leash. But there were three things he didn't account for. Uh, that, one. Uh, one, that was a very tough poodle. Yeah. Two, the lady was also pretty tough and starts assaulting Blue with her umbrella. And three, the lifeguard takes over by also assaulting Blue with the umbrella. <laughs> Here I was expecting another punch, and when I get more, and that, and that, and that! I, I, I got gotta say that that was a pretty clever gag. I, I just like he's like, I'll take over here, ma'am. <laughs> so we catch up with Charlie, who's been spending this time building a sandcastle. It's nice when you can build one you can move right into. However, Blue threatens to kick it, and well Charlie we, used an anchor as the framework to build the castle around. Ouch. Which causes Blue to Hop right out of the beach, keeping the, uh, pretty much doing the lifeguard's job for him. I'll say this, he was at least lucky enough to not get smacked in the face to go along with that hurting foot. Yeah, I, I do like how the lifeguard just watches him jump out. It's like, all right. So that lifeguard is asleep on the job again, or so it seems to Blue, as he sneaks from wooden post to wooden post, except one post is the lifeguard. That lifeguard's fast. Yeah. I know, I know, I have to get off the beach. But this time, the guard's punch launches him down the street and into a sewer. This guard ate his spinach. <laughs> so Blue snarks, the only way to see the sea is to join the Navy. So he does! Unfortunately, that doesn't work for him either. Yeah, the lifeguard, despite confusing the aardvark for a dog this whole time, sees through this disguise and calls the dog catcher. He actually takes off his glasses for this. <laughs> Blue protests over and over that he's an aardvark. But by the time Charlie catches up to him in the dog catcher's truck, Blue is trying to convince the other dogs he's one of them. I'm a dog. I'm a dog. Listen. Woof, woof, woof. You see? He even pleads for Charlie to assist him. But Charlie oh, cool. just tells the dogs they should know a cat when they see one. Ouch. Boy, I'll ever ask an ant for a small favor. Yeah, the dogs are uh, dogs react as you would expect when they say a cat, complete with actually breaking the door. But but one of them is holding themselves into the is like I, I like the detail that one of the dogs is holding the outside just to make sure he doesn't escape despite the fact they just broke the fence. It's like, that's a cartoon dog for you. They When they hear cat, they're willing to go to the uh, pound just to get that cat. <laughs> yeah. 
So what did the celebrities think of their voices being impersonated for this cartoon? We don't know how Dean Martin react, but uh, music director Doug Goodwin has this story related in the book Think Pink, the story of Patty Freeling, that I'm going to read an excerpt of for you. So they got John Biner to do the voice to mimic Jackie Mason on the show. As it turned out, what I heard about it was that Jackie Mason found out about the guy mimicking his voice and said, Hey, that's my voice. It's unique. That's his image. His agents showed up and Jackie wanted to do the voices. So they said, okay. They had a session with Jackie doing the voice of the aardvark. Halfway through, from what I heard, he stopped the session and told Frizz, You know what? John Biner does it better me than me. So, he says, I think you should use bon- John Biner to do the- my voice, but I want you to pay me. So they had a deal where John Biner got paid and Jackie Mason got paid, even without going to work, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, lucky. I mean, I wish I could get paid and not do anything. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jackie Gleason's kind of like, oh, dang it, that's what I should have done with the Flintstones. No kidding. <laughs> So why were there only 17 of these made and only 17 of just about every other to Patty Freeling uh, short subject production, except the inspector, which wound up with double that at 34 and the pink Panther, which just went on and on and on. Well, I couldn't come up with a specific answer in my research, but I have a suspicion ready for television. In having 17 segments, they could craft 17 episodes for Saturday morning. And in 1971, they did just that by applying the Ant and the Aardvark shorts into the Pink Panther show with the inspector acting as the third segment. It makes sense. And boy, did Patty Freeling come up with some other shows, too. Yeah. Yeah, we've, of course, covered the Houndcats. And there's a lot more coming because, as you all know by now, it's on They're the list. on the list. Though I was more referring to like their theatrical stuff, like uh, the Tijuana Toads. Uh, oh yeah, Tijuana the Toads. The Blue Racer, um, Crazy Legs Crane. Some of which, many of which, spun off off themselves. And, and of uh, course, uh, Roland and Ratfink. And uh, Mr. Jaws, mm-hmm. who, who came out around the same time as Jabberjaw because they were both kind of inspired by Jaws, surprisingly. Indeed. Grant, all that Jaws inspiration meant is, well, there's a shark. (laughs) Though I will say Mr. Jaws comes off more as a parody of Jaws than Jabberjaws does. To be be sure. Also has uh, Arnold Stang in it. But this would not be the end of these characters. In fact, in the 1993 Pink Panther series... John Byner would even return to reprise these voices. Yep. Even though they didn't get their own segment, they were more like guest characters within the Pink Panther show. I remember they had a Tarzan parody episode where, for some reason, the aardvark was Tarzan. (laughs) And the characters would return yet again in the 2010 Pink Panther and Pal series, with Eddie Garver voicing the aardvark and Kel Mitchell as Charlie Ant. Which was interesting because... The aardvark still just sounds like the aardvark. Uh, I forgot who like said. Like Jackie Mason. Yeah. Yeah, it's still a pair, It's still doing the Jackie Mason imitation, but the ant is no longer Dean Martin. It's just Kel being Kel. <laughs> Which still works. It still works. It was just 
where everywhere I first saw it, it threw me off. But no, the, those shorts are actually good. I actually think the, uh, what was it, 2010's uh, Pink Panther and Pal show was yep. actually, I thought it was pretty good. Didn't take off as well as I think they wanted it to. But for what it was, it they were definitely trying on both shows to try to uh, try to get the energy of the original series. Don't quite hit the mark, but there's they, they are definitely putting the effort, which is more than I say for a lot of reboots like the 90s Pink Panther cartoon mentioned earlier. Now that 2010 reboot, or at, le- at the very least the Anthony Aardvark shorts of them, can be found on YouTube on the official Pink Panther channel. Uh, the you- Pink Panther ones can too, so. Yep. Heck, you can even find Pink Panther and Sun on there. Now the original Anthony Aardvark shorts, they're on YouTube, just not from the official channel. In good quality, at least, though. Yeah. But, but of course, if you want to support the uh, the rights holders, you, you could easily buy these on Blu-ray or DVD. You know, I've done both. I've watched them on YouTube. I've bought the DVD. I figure I'm covered both ways. Yep. All in legally binding methods. They can't come knocking on your door. Right, exactly. So, there's one thing I hope the ants don't get into today. The cereal? Yeah, it's time we it's time we restocked it. See ya. The penny and James to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Sean Michael Smith. <laughs>